You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. As ever, Rick. It's just a funny old world, and it keeps getting funnier every day, doesn't it? It certainly does. We have an interesting story about uh, Mrs. Patricia Smith and Senator John Enzi. He objects to uh, the Obama administration's nomination for the Department of Labor. You'd ordinarily think, when you heard something like that, you'd think, my goodness, that's a boring story. (laughs) You know, a a typical inside-the-beltway thing. But actually, it's a story that tells us a whole lot about uh, who we are politically in this city and where we're going. Uh, Patricia Smith, the Obama administration, chose her from the New York State Department of Labor, and they brought her to Washington to become the solicitor of the U.S. Department of Labor, and the uh, Republicans on the committee that were supposed to approve this uh, have objected very strongly, and one of them has put a hold on the nomination, which means that it'll take some doing to to, uh, to overcome that and get her into the job. Now, uh, why would why would they why would they do that, and why would anybody care about this? You know, inside the Beltway, inside baseball, sort of, you know, uh, uh, minutiae of politics. Because now, you the, might get paid. Well, it's actually the Department of Labor is a very important organization, Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't ordinarily think of that because it, it, uh, you know, it doesn't do, it hasn't done anything for a very long time. It's uh, one of the, the, the more curious things about the Bush years was the way that government agencies, regulatory agencies, were uh, were staffed with people who didn't believe in the mission, were underfunded, were often, uh, you know, put their uh, all their priorities in the wrong place, and, and effectively wound up doing nothing. And we all know about this story now because of the way the financial regulators, turned out, weren't paying attention to Wall Street at all. But this was, in fact, going on in all sorts of places, and one of the worst was the Department of Labor, where they... Um, the Bush administration put all its emphasis on policing labor unions, okay? Yeah. There's... So this is not just a case of people saying, you know, government just doesn't work. In fact, it worked in that, in that sense. They were able to police labor unions really, really effectively, you know, throw a lot of people in jail. But the traditional job of the Labor Department is, is, is more to police the workplace and to look out for workers, you know, not to throw their, their leaders in jail. And... Um, they did this, their sort of traditional job, very poorly. In fact, there was this hilarious study that came out in... Um, it's not hilarious, Rick. I don't know why I say things <laughs> like that. It's, it's hilarious in the sense that hilarious means, like, really, really terrifyingly awful. It's a kind of Dr. Strangelove hilarity. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it was a study of the Labor Department that the GAO, this office, did, where they kind of did a... You remember Spy Magazine back in the 80s? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might not be old enough. Uh, yeah, no, I, definitely. I'm old enough, alas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the Spy Magazine used to do these hilarious pranks to, uh, to people, and uh, uh, it, it, this is what they did to the Department of Labor. They, uh, they set up 10 like, extreme workplace wage and hour violations and reported them to the Department of Labor. And these were all invented uh, violations and deported them, uh, reported all of these to the Department of Labor to see what they would do. And, uh, I mean, one of them was, it was like, well, we got it, we got a, 
kids working in a meatpacking plant <laughs> using heavy machinery during school hours. And they reported this to the Department of Labor, and the Department of Labor did nothing. Mm. And they said they, they, the, the report concludes in that sort of, you know, classic government way that uh, the Department of Labor successfully investigated one of the ten fictitious complaints <laughs> that they had made up. And so that's why you need quality people at the Department of Labor. But the thing is that the kind of people who, uh, you know, who, who uh, well, let's just make the long story short, business interests don't like the Department of Labor. They don't no. like it when it works. And so they want to torpedo any chance that it might be effective. And that's the root cause of this funny little squabble that's going on in D.C. to keep it from becoming effective. Yes, well, um, obviously, since traditionally labor interests support the Democrats and business interests support the the Republicans, the Republicans want to see in no way to see a Department of Labor do anything other than prosecute uh, crimes by labor if they can manufacture them. (laughs) That's right, it, but you know, it ought to be it ought to be bigger than simply you know just partisan thing that that one group supports one party and one group supports the other. I mean, we all work, we all you know we all go to the workplace, and it's and if we don't have uh, a labor union looking out for us, somebody has to you know somebody has to be making sure that that uh, that companies follow the law with regards to their employees. And so I think it's, you know, it's, 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 and this is a story that goes to the very heart of, you know, what people experience day to day on the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's something that just drives me up the wall when I'm not saying that it's hilarious, you know, I, that in, in, and in other situations I get very angry about it. But Well, it, it's interesting, too, uh, that, you know, this, this whole wage watch uh, program, um, you know, it would become a reason to not confirm somebody. It, it's like you're doing too effective a job. Yes, this is this is the nominal reason that the that the Republicans are giving for opposing this candidate, Patricia Smith, is this this program they set up in the state of New York called Wage Watch, and it was basically uh, it was what they call a pilot program. It had uh, it was very very small. Uh, it had only just been put into effect, and the idea was to recruit people who weren't, you know, uh, government employees to uh, alert the general public uh, to, you know, the, the, to the, the workplace law, mm. you know, hand out flyers, tell people about how if you have a complaint about your boss, how you can file it with the Department of Labor. And, and this, the, you know, the first time I heard about this, I was like, you know, what's, what's the big deal with that? What's the, <laughs> what's the problem with that? And, uh, but this is something that drives a certain segment of our society absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, the chance that, that, that people will find out about, about labor law, uh, it, it makes them very, very upset. Even the existence of labor law... Uh, I yeah, guess it's, it's a standing people. affront mm. to, 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 to certain people. I, I guess that the idea of a free market means basically maybe you should work for free, too. A, well, I mean, a... remember what the whole logic was with regards to to banks and financial institutions that the market will self regulate, and I mean, people make the same argument with regards. I mean, look, they'll they'll frankly they'll say almost anything to get uh, business off the hook. But I've heard the argument made in all seriousness by by serious people who think serious thoughts will tell you that um, that no. Uh, the market will look out for workers, and because if those workers are treated badly, why they can always just quit and go on to the next job. But this is this is such an ivory tower way of looking at it. It has nothing to do with reality and the way people actually 
work and live, you know. And, and apply for jobs, especially in an economy like this where there's six people applying for any one job. There's no way that the workers have any right. say you, whatsoever. Nobody has that kind of workplace power, but that's the myth. Mm. And, uh, uh, I mean, in the story about uh, kids working at a meatpacking plant with heavy machinery during school hours, in the, in the case that I described, they made it up. But it was based on a real case, mm. which I wrote about, uh, I guess it was over a year ago now, at a meatpacking plant in Iowa. Um, they got busted by immigration, uh, the, you know, immigration officials, and they all, it turned out that almost all the employees, or I'm sorry, a large percentage of the employees were illegal immigrants, or that's what the accusation was anyway. But uh, it included a lot of children. Uh, so they were they had they did have they had child labor kids working with heavy machinery and meat packing, which is uh, as you know is like the most dangerous kind of work you can do uh these days American business doing their part to keep Charles Dickens literature still relevant <laughs> that's right keep Dickens in print <laughs> keep Dickens in print and speaking of in print now, when I was but a young lad back in the dark ages, dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I would walk downtown where I lived in Covina, and there was this store that was just on the edge of downtown. And I remember it really plainly because it was a big room. There there was big windows at the front. There was practically nothing in it. There were like a few tables with some literature on it, and there was a couple guys, old crabby guys sitting in the back behind in some chairs, and I'd be crabby if I was sitting in those chairs too. And they had these all this literature on the tables, and it was like, get us out of the U.N. now. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the Classic John Birchers, yes. That, uh, Rick, would have been an outpost of the John Birch Society. And there, there are yet another example of what uh, Richard Hofstetter in uh, Harper's Magazine called the paranoid style of American politics, an essay that just becomes more and more relevant every single day, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, essays about history, um, it, you know, like, and, and as you said, it was published in Harper's Magazine almost forty, exactly forty-five years ago. Uh, right now, uh, this in, in about a week, it'll be the forty-fifth anniversary. And it was an essay I read it when I was first in graduate school, and I thought, you know, and it was about the Birch Society, uh, about Joe McCarthy, and about the the sort of the the conspiracy spotting mindset. And I read it, and I thought, you know, what's the big deal? The John Birch Society is so marginal. Who cares? And then now, as I, you know, or as the years passed, and I and I learned a lot more about about uh, you know people's political views, it became more and more relevant. And now, you know, I turn on the TV, watching Glenn Beck, <laughs> you know, reading the various conservative columnists in the newspaper. And by God, uh, you know, Richard Hofstadter was writing in 1964 about the fringe of American politics, but the fringe is right in the middle now. They are, they've got the biggest megaphone around. The lunatics have taken over the asylum, and it's, it's fascinating to see this because uh, the ability to deny reality and rewrite reality is, I think, pretty astonishing, and they're pretty creative at it, too. Well, that's yes. Create, creative is is one word for it. In fact, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm I'm both. You know, I've I've written about this for some years now uh, in the in my book about Kansas as well as in in, in the Wrecking Crew, and I am both fascinated and repulsed by it. Uh, you know, repulsed because it's uh, it's it's very bad for our country. You know, anti-American with these views were mm-hmm. were were somehow to, to to be in charge, and in many. Uh, instances they they were in charge during the Bush years and also during the Reagan years, but the 
I'm also fascinated by it because it's such a, um, as you say, a creative worldview uh, that that uh, it's just uh, you know I, uh, I'm it's it's fascinating in the way that like you know people get fascinated by a cobra or something you know, staring at it it's it's absolutely compelling to me and uh, and I just love watching these guys like uh, like the, like I mentioned Glenn Beck and some of these other people fascinating it's interesting too that. Um the degree to which the mainstream media will buy into some of these things and help to promote them. I mean, y- you can't get the mainstream media to touch a UFO report with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> but, course. you know, the, I, I got to tell you, the, the the UFO reports, the Bigfoot reports, the Loch Ness Monster, Lake Champlain Monster, that stuff seems a, a, a lot more plausible to me than death panels. But... <laughs> <laughs> we hear a lot more about that. Let's get the let's get the Bigfoot back in the news. That's I did not know about it. There, there was a Lake Champlain monster. Oh yes, absolutely. Is he is he a friendly monster? Uh, I guess he wouldn't be called a monster then. Uh, champs. I, I, we went on vacation there last summer. Nobody mentioned that to me. Hey, so the, the paranoid style that I'm describing it has. The, the the main characteristic, like I said, is the conspiracy theory, and this is this is okay. This is funny. So I was watching Glenn Beck's program on Fox News uh, last month, and I taped this one episode, and I went back and watched it. And Glenn had a panel of what he called you know ordinary moms. These were ordinary average Americans, and they were going to explain why they had been at Tea Party protests and that sort of thing, and town hall protests, and they were going to explain why. They were objecting to the Obama administration, and it was going to. It was the idea was that they were going to persuade the viewers how normal they were and how unfrightening they were. And they went through their list of things, and it was just it just got loonier and loonier. You know, it started out with, uh, you know, public schools are indoctrinating our children, and then you know proceeded to the U, you know get the U.S. out of the UN, of course, the you know the perfidy really? and horror. Of the United Nations. Boy, that's really uh, a perennial, isn't it? Yeah, that one. That one never gets old. <laughs> I mean, that's the, some of these, these things are very funny. They never, they never really change. Uh, the, uh, and there's certain quirks of the paranoid mindset that never seem to go away. And I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, I mean, there, there was there. They had one about the swine flu vaccine. Uh, I mean, a new conspiracy theory that I had not even heard before. Um, you know, plus assorted. You know. Basically, everything, they did not mention water fluoridation, mm. but, you know, everything along the way. And um, one of the strange things, this is another thing that I got from, from Hofstadter, one of the strangest things about the, the paranoid style is that they're, uh, they, they, they like to focus on particular dates that this, you know, evil enemy, usually it used to be always the communists, and I guess it still is when you're watching someone like Glenn Beck, it's the communists, but the, 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 the communists have set a date for their takeover and for mm. our downfall. And they have this schedule, and they're keeping to this schedule. There's just fascination with this. And it recurs throughout you know, the history of this way of looking at the world. Uh, you know, they used to say, well, it's going to be in 1960. You know, that mm-hmm. date came and went. It was going to be, you know, 1972. And I was reading one uh, uh, book that the College Republicans distributed Back in the 1980s, and they were it was 1983 was the uh, the date that the communists had uh, had you know had had scheduled our our demise for. It's fascinating, and the the, the idea that we are always that time is running out, that we are mm-hmm. at the we are making the very last stand for democracy, and you have to get on board right now. And this is I mean Glenn Beck actually uses this phrase all the time: time is running out. 
this is sort of a one of the, the constant themes of this way of viewing the world. It's a and another, and this one is particularly tactic. funny, is persecution. Mm. Of course, you know, not you know, the world is works by conspiracy. History is a conspiracy, and that conspiracy is largely directed against you mm. as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, uh, the 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 people will will often complain bitterly about. You know how the how the, how uh, their their grievance at the world, how downtrodden they are, how oppressed they are, and the, I found the most amazing example of this the other day. It was in a column by Michelle Malkin, who's best-selling author, uh, conservative columnist, and I actually saw her once in person at it at one of these tea parties, and uh, she was sort of going down the list of all the political violence that's happened so far this year. You know, like the uh, Dr. Tiller was shot in Wichita. Uh, there was a uh, some guy burst into the uh, Holocaust Museum here in Washington and shot mm-hmm. a guard. Uh, there was a, a Census Bureau employee who was who was uh, apparently murdered. We don't really know uh, these sorts of things. And instead of taking the obvious conclusion from this, which is wow, that's you know it, it looks it looks like there's some the you know the the. the fringe people are 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 going a little crazy or something like that. She. She, she does a 180 and says this means that they're going to start cracking down on people like me right away. And that conservative, uh, you know, conservative discourse is going to be, and I believe the word she used was criminalized, which I don't know how they'd get around the First Amendment. <laughs> but I'm sure you know the treacherous uh, Obama people could do it. Mm. When you em- emphasize that they're out to get you, at, that you in specific, the the absolute person who's just sitting there glued listening to Glenn Beck or whoever, yeah. that's a way of making you feel really important because that means, it, gosh, the not, entire— It's not just important. It makes you feel noble. If mm. you, you think about— Noble, think about, that's uh, it. Think about Glenn, Glenn Beck is known for this very peculiar stunt that he does where he, cr- he can cry apparently on cue. It's a remarkable thing that he does, uh, and that's often—people do that sort of thing when they feel— you know, like like they're very noble, and yet they're somehow being persecuted. I mean, that's 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 when people cry at movies, you know, and that sort of thing. And um, uh, the the whole idea of all this stuff is that you are a hardworking, salt of the earth, you know, uh, rock solid uh, middle American. You are the you know the, the 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 very backbone of this country. You know, you are the the bone and sinew of of America, and yet. Our culture, you know, disrespects you, and uh, you know our our the democratic uh, politicians who are in power now call you names, and all these terrible things are being done to you, and yet you're such a good person, and that's uh, I mean, that's 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 so seductive that way of looking at the world. It's just so much fun to to think of that, to think of the world that way. I mean, I used to think of it that way myself when I was a teenager, and it was it was a blast. This is no longer any fringe. This is, I mean, the Republican Party is in the midst of splitting. In the New York 23rd District, we now have a conservative candidate who's fighting a Republican candidate. And the upshot is it looks like the Democrat, who bears in many ways more resemblance to a Republican than he does to a Democrat, might get elected. Yeah, yeah, that's a a common problem. Uh, You know, you get the spoiler in the race, uh, and they they do that sort of thing deliberately often. And people do that on both sides of, uh, you know, both parties, of course. Um, they, I, I've actually been, I haven't been following that race in particular, but can, if I could take a step back, 
well, when when uh, you know I was talking about uh, the the murder of Doctor Tiller, mm-hmm. the abortion doctor in Wichita, which happened last summer, and when it happened, I wrote a column about it in the Wall Street Journal, sort of you know describing a lot of the you know a lot of the, the the crazy rhetoric that used to swirl around this man and this was the conservative movement in Kansas was re- really came into existence to oppose this one man and his practice in in Wichita and uh one of the things that I that I thought would happen you know after he was murdered and the the country was shocked and horrified and everybody uh, left and right republican and democrat everybody denounced this crime you know a terrible crime and, uh, I mean, even the people who are out there protesting in front of his clinic denounced this crime. This is not, you know, if you're in the pro-life movement, this is obviously not what you're supposed to be doing, you know, <laughs> murdering people. But uh, uh, I said at the time, that this is, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, Rick. This is from my own study of the, of the paranoid style, that, that ultimately what the right will say is that they will remember this crime much better than anybody else because they will see it as, you know, this is when they got blamed unfairly by the media for a crime that they didn't commit, and the whole movement will was, you know, was slandered and, uh, you know, for for a crime that one guy committed. And I don't remember anybody. Oh, there was one guy, a columnist for the Kansas City Star, that said this whole thing is a stain on the honor of the conservative movement. And maybe he had a point here. But now, of course, that's exactly what. Michelle Malkin is saying is that this you know that that's that's the only way to remember this thing is that that's when the uh, the backlash against the, these guys began. It's a funny world. Yeah. It's a strange world. I, I'm still waiting for that backlash to begin. To be quite frank, the, the double backlash should be the backlash against the backlash. Yeah, it's that's never going to happen. I've been speaking with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. Anytime, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.